Welcome to the Wisdom Talk Radio Show, bringing you insight, illumination, and inspiration in service to the world. We are a collaborative community of explorers in conscious living, conscious business, conscious relationships, conscious community, and conscious evolution. Welcome to Wisdom Talk Radio. This is Laurie Seymour from the Baca Journey. And today I am so excited to have with me Felina Denalis. I'm particularly excited because it's Felina's birthday. So that's an unusual thing right there to be able to get to interview someone, have a conversation with someone like we're going to on her birthday. And I want to start out by saying that honoring mind, body, spirit is a buzzword that we hear so often. But for Felina, it's nothing less than her life's work. After serving for years in international development, working at places like the World Bank and consulting in the sustainability industry in Europe, she witnessed a traumatic car bombing while working in the field. It was for her, her breaking open moment. Since then, cultivating her own spiritual fitness, and we're gonna talk about that, and helping others to do the same has been her passion, her calling, and her business. And one of the things we'll find out today about spiritual fitness and what Felina means by that will help us understand what it is that has been driving her, or I don't wanna see driving, I wanna say inspiring her these years. So welcome, Felina, and happy birthday. Thank you so much, Lori. Thank you so much to everybody at Wisdom Talk Radio. It's such an honor and a privilege to spend this time with you today. Special honor. Thank you. Uh, it's our pleasure. So given that it's your birthday today, I want to ask, are you wiser? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, perhaps I won't be the best judge of that. <laughs> Maybe somebody else would be a better judge of that. I, well, you're I, you're I, deep I in the birthday energies. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, I, certain, I certainly feel very, very grateful to not be in my 20s anymore. That's for sure. Not be dealing with those issues anymore. So I, I'm celebrating it. Great, great. So let's start out by diving into what you mean by spiritual fitness. I, I haven't heard that term before, and yet when I hear it, it, it there's something about it that's, that speaks of truth. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really um, a concept that kind of evolves for me over time. And I, as a younger person, I, like so many women, I had severe body image issues and um, really low self-esteem. And a lot of it was manifested around my body. And I, I remember I would read, I would go to the grocery store, I would go to the gym, and then I'd go to the grocery store, and I would be looking at the magazines on the counter. And they would say things like body, mind, spirit. And I had no idea what they were talking about. I knew I had a mind because I could read newspapers. And I knew I had a body because I, you know, was exercising compulsively all the time. But I, I really, I didn't get what the spirit piece was. And the experience that you talked about um, uh, that I witnessed in, uh, when I was serving in the field in Yugoslavia 
really got me to a place of of breaking open and recognizing there was a whole other part of my identity that I had no access to and I had no connection with, and that was my spirit. And so I had spent so much time exercising my mind and you know, reading compulsively, doing all of these degrees and, and really trying to be smart and educated and really spending a lot of energy on that. And then I spent all of this time and energy uh, trying to whip my body into shape and exercise, but I didn't. And, and so these are all things that are in our, in our culture are really, really celebrated. But, I, but that third piece was very elusive for me. And I, if you had asked me about it, I, uh, you know, 15 years ago, I would have looked at you like, uh, you know, very, very quizzically. I really no idea. But what I, I started to understand was that this, there was this longing inside of me for stillness and for quiet mm. and for solitude. And I was taken, I was brought to my knees to get me to go inward and to go into that quiet. And so for me, the whole notion of spiritual fitness has been something like a corollary of we, we do exercise to strengthen our physical muscles so that we can move, so that we can walk and, and, and move around and be lithe and, and be agile. And we cultivate our spiritual muscles and our spiritual fitness that we might be still and that we, that we might rest in the wisdom that lays in, lies inside of us. Mm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, and, and what it makes me think of is that we exercise our body. One of the reasons it, besides the, you know, Oh, I want to look good, but in truth, it's how can I be functional? And it, it occurs to me that that spirit piece piece is also about being functional in the world, truly functional. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I've one of the one of my favorite uh, writers is is Thomas Merton, uh, the the Trappist monk, and mm-hmm. uh, spent a lot of time in in Southeast Asia. And he was a great writer, and he wrote a lot about solitude and contemplation. And yet, at the same time, he was writing all these books, which seems, you know, to some of us, that can seem like a paradox of how do you <laughs> spend all this time in quiet contemplation, but you're also creating and. That is what I, I think you, you are spot on that, you know, the criticism sometimes of the contemplative life or of, this, of, of a life which is um, deeply attuned to the spiritual is that it's, it's one where um, action uh, on the physical realm may not be valued. And yet what you're suggesting, and, what I, uh, and I completely agree with you, is that we, we go inside that we may better serve and more powerfully serve on the outside. Exactly. Yes. Think of, <clears throat> think of the hero's journey, the yeah. last part of the hero's journey after the hero has, has gone inside, has taken the, crossed the bridges, fought the dragons, battled the one-eyed monster. Then when the, when the hero, the heroine comes to the boon, to the, to the gift, to the, the inner knowledge, they have to take it out into the world and offer it. That's the piece that, that completes that journey. And for, for me, meditation is an act of, it's really an active act. And it's how do I connect in order to then take my wisdom, connect with my wisdom and take it out into the world to share it. Yeah, I, I, that's so powerful. And it reminds me of something that I heard uh, a respected spiritual uh, teacher 
said that every morning I wake up and I meditate for an hour. And then there are those times when I'm really, really busy and I really have a lot to do. And mm-hmm. on those, at those times, I meditate for two hours. Right. <laughs> and I just, I love that so much, Lori, because mm-hmm. the more responsibilities we have externally, the more imperative it is to dig deep into that inner well of strength and wisdom and clarity that we might bring love and light into the world and mm-hmm. not be swept away um, by, by all of the doing that happens around us. Yes, exactly. Not get swept away by the doing. That's, yes. It, it, it uh, occurs to me that when you build that muscle then, just to follow along your, your analogy, um, what you're doing is you're building it so that you can be in the middle of a boardroom and you can take a breath and connect with that same place that you do in meditation. Absolutely. That's so, that, that is so powerful, Lori. And what's, what I really love about that is that it is a reminder of we, we all have, most of us, I'll say, mm-hmm. have compulsive habitual patterns of reactivity. And when we spend that time uh, in meditation with, with any serious spiritual practice, whatever that might be for us, where we can connect with that still small voice, it, it is a very practical manifestation happens on the outside so that you don't have to compulsively react when somebody in that board meeting says something that kind of hurts your feelings mm-hmm. or when your partner says something that it's a little, it's an owie or when your child says something that you wish you hadn't heard. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's very powerful. You know, I'm sure you've done um, many meditations. And one of the things that's so beautiful about doing longer meditations is that you, you get to go through the process of committing to stillness and then noticing the minute you commit to stillness, a fly inevitably lands <laughs> And you think you're going to die if you don't move if you don't move or if you don't scratch or if you don't adjust. And what's remarkable is that if we, when we cultivate that discipline to, to not react and eventually, you know, the fly goes on its way, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, <laughs> but that we take that outside of the meditation and then we don't have to react when somebody cuts us off in traffic and we don't have to react when our uh, partners say something or do something that we wish we hadn't. And that's really, that is, those are the benefits of of cultivating spiritual. Mm -hmm. It's not what happens in those 20 minutes on Mm -hmm. on the meditation cushion. It's how it transforms our lives um, on on the outside so that we can be still and not resort to compulsive reactivity, but that we can have the wisdom to restrain ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, given that you spent so many years um, working in the, in the sustainability industry, it seems to me you're still doing that because this is, you're talking about sustainable wisdom. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's always a great conversation with people. You know what, some of the work that I do is really helping individuals cultivate their own sustainable practices, their spiritual practices, their um, other practices in their daily lives. But you know, having come from a background of, of corporate sustainability, of really looking at what, what is commonly called the triple bottom line. And in our own lives, and, and so many people listening to this, I would be willing to bet that everybody who's listening to this today uh, is a conscious consumer. You know, we, we choose sustainable companies, we choose sustainable foods, we choose 
things that are good for the environment, for the planet. And what's really powerful and transformative is when we look at the practices that we have in our own lives and check in and say, okay, is this, is this, is this pattern of behavior or is this work schedule or is this um, overcommitting myself? Is it sustainable in the long term? And I, I so enjoy working with clients and individuals and really grasping the idea, Lori, that most of us vastly overestimate what we are capable of doing in the short term, right? You look at your to-do list and most mm-hmm. of us get to the end of the day and we haven't done everything on our to-do list. I think that's pretty human. <laughs> and at the same time, we habitually underestimate what we are capable of in the long term. And so what's really fascinating about this notion of personal sustainability is that when you commit to 20 minutes of meditation or five minutes of yoga or 15 minutes of prayer or whatever your sustainable practice may be, over the long haul, you're capable of doing so much more than a lot of the extreme, you know, the cleanses and the, you know, some of the more extreme behaviors that can be useful, but that are, are not going to get us through the daily grind. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're really talking about living life, how to live life. Yeah. So I know you do, I mean, that the base of your work is individual and group coaching. I also know that you spend a lot of time in Greece uh, and you've, you've spent a lot of time there in your life um, and that you lead retreats there. So, but what is it about Greece that draws you back? Oh gosh! I how, how many hours do we have for today's talk? <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll have to make a commitment to going together sometime, Lori. Oh. With that, you with that personally. What I, I think if I had to boil it down to what is so powerful about that part of the world, and it can you know I, I've lived in Greece and, and Italy and other parts of the Mediterranean and, and Yugoslavia, and what I think is very interesting about that part of the world is. We talk. We get excited in the U.S. and in other cultures about things like the Mediterranean diet, and that is looking at you know the healthy foods that come from that part of the world and really trying to incorporate those into our diets. The key mix, though, the key component that people often don't talk about when they're exploring the Mediterranean diet is the sense of community and the sense of belonging. And I, I am always so humbled and in awe of the incredible spirit of community that is, that is inherent in the Greek people. Um, the concept of philoxenia, which is, a, a, I don't know if it exists in other languages, but it basically means that the, the hospitality that is extended to the foreigner is also the same mm-hmm. hospitality that is extended to every other human being in the community. And so it's really this, this idea of being much more grounded and rooted in community and Whereas in cultures like in the U.S., we really celebrate pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, being alone, that individualist, and those individualist tendencies. And these are gross exaggerations, obviously, but we're talking about for the sake of, <laughs> of a short conversation. What I think is so beautiful about sharing the Mediterranean way of life with people is you is to spend time sitting under an olive tree and talking about the stars and talking about the cosmos. And when you look at the chaos in your own individual life sometimes and you get overwhelmed with, you know, what am I going to do about my job? What am I going to do about my relationship? You know, these kinds of, you know, diurnal problems that we have. When you're in a place like Greece, you, you are drawn by the energy to look up to the cosmos 
and to see the perfect order and harmony in the, the planets and the stars and the, the magnificence of the universe that has always been and always will be. And I, I think that that is so powerful for Americans who are on their devices and have been, you know, habituated into this way of doing constantly. And cultures like Greece, for example, are much more comfortable with being. And that's okay. And that's enough. And so it's very, it's, it, it just, it makes my insides smile to no end to bring people from around the world to Greece to share that, that special quality of, hey, let's, let's sit down under this olive tree for three hours and have a meal and talk about the meaning of life. Because mm-hmm. what else would we do? <laughs> yeah, and I can hear the transformation that is inherent in, in the willingness to do that. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, I, and, and I'm going to take you up on your offer, by the way. I hope so. I'll be looking forward to it. <laughs> well, having spent time in, uh, in Greece myself and having spent time in, in the neighboring Turkey, where we were talking about in the beginning of our conversation before we started recording, um, that you've spent a lot of time in, um, one of the things that we were talking about then was that we – how we resonate with these ancient cultures, those of us who, who come from the, these ancient cultures, and, and what that means in terms of, of everyday life. Could you say mm. some more about that, of what your sensing is of that? That's, yeah, that's such a wonderful topic, Laurie. I mean, it's, it's such a great opportunity to talk about this with you. I, what's very powerful is of, of the, the cultures that have been around for thousands of years, I think that there is, and many people who go to India, for example, and, and other parts of the world, you know, they had this deep experience of whatever's happening in the headlines isn't, is, is not that important fundamentally at a fundamental level, because these are cultures that have been around for thousands of years. And what parts, what those parts, those ancient parts of the world for me represent is this is kind of wisdom. You know, we're talking on Wisdom Talk Radio and there is a there's a certain inherent wisdom in being in a place that has witnessed so much and yet it survives. And yet these places continue to exist. You know, the fact that Athens still exists as a miracle or mm-hmm. or Jerusalem or Istanbul or you know these these cities that have had so much on the level of human activity mm-hmm. and yet they, they, each experience creates a, a layer of richness to what you experience when you go there, which is what makes them fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so profound for us as, as human beings endeavoring to explore wisdom in our own lives, to look at our own personal scars, our own personal wars, our own personal um, uh, trials and tribulations, if you will, and, and explore how we might integrate them more beautifully. You know, you can't go to a place uh, in those parts. You can't, you can't be in, in Hagia Sophia, in, 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 mm. in, Sophia, in Istanbul, and not be deeply moved by the many layers of culture and religion that have been in that one building. And so when you, when you kind of reflect on that in your own life, rather than what I see many people do who, uh, who are wanting to live a spiritual life or a more mindful or more present life is kind of cut off those parts of their own lives from the past. And what I think we can learn from those ancient cultures is how do we integrate those? How do we take the best parts 
of, uh, of all of these experiences that we have had and wo- weave them into a beautiful tapestry that is uniquely ours. I'm, I'm just breathing in your words. I'm very moved by what you're saying. Not only because it mirrors my experience in these places, but the, the wisdom of claiming the tapestry that we weave and, and, and then creating from that, creating our life, our life's work, but our life and seeing our life as that tapestry, letting it be all of that which we are, is, is what we're here to do on planet Earth. Yeah, I couldn't, I could not agree more. So let me ask you, given your work as a spiritual fitness teacher, coach, uh, inspirer, what's, what's one way that you could share with our listeners that they could begin to cultivate their own spiritual fitness? When, when, when I was thinking about our talk this morning, I, I was thinking about, um, Every, every individual has, you know, we all have our own unique fingerprint and our own signature and how our soul manifests. And there are many, many ways that we can do that. And sometimes I, I think seekers are looking for the next best thing a lot of times and I'm looking for the, the one right thing. And what I know to answer your question is that it, the practices are always the same. So the practice is being quiet. I, I will often advise my clients I'm, I, uh, who are, um, have difficulties developing a mindfulness and meditation practice, for example, can you take one conscious breath? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you, before you sit down to a meal, can you take one conscious breath? And if you don't remember to do it before you start the meal, can you do it during the meal? Can you make a commitment to just one conscious breath? B- because I... I one of the dangers of wanting to explore and cultivate one's spiritual fitness and to, you know, to, to be more awake is that we want to compulsively do and radically change everything. I know that was certainly the case for me many years ago. <laughs> and, and yet the practices are ancient and they are the same. So if you can spend five minutes quiet time each morning, um, I, uh, that's wonderful. Um, I personally love to, I, having lived in the Mediterranean for many, many years, uh, on days that I, I work at home, I will rest after lunch and I will do my meditation after lunch and I will, that will be my opportunity for quiet time, which kind of, it, it does something which is really fun, which it kind of, it gives you two mornings in the day, basically, you get a restart, you, you, you know, you kind of do a control alt delete in the middle of the day <laughs> and then you get a second fresh start. And so that's one of the practices. But, and uh, the, the truth is we all know, we all know what helps us to cultivate our spiritual fitness. We know by now anybody listening has the wisdom inside to know what has worked what what we don't always have is the daily commitment and and in order to foster a daily commitment i think we have to cultivate humility because it's you know we we sometimes look at people who like meditate for six hours and we think oh man he's so cool he went you know he can meditate for six hours that's so cool man i can't do that so i'm just not going to try and and part of 
cultivating spiritual fitness is cultivating the humility to recognize, hey, some days I can do 20 minutes, some days I can do two minutes, some days I can do an hour. But, but, but the point is having that consistency, that sustainable practice, which is I commit no matter what, that each day I will do something to nourish myself spiritually. Yeah. That's where the power in transformation lies. Yes. I yeah. And it might be taking a walk. It might be a, a meditation walk. And it may not be meditation. It Absolutely. may be talking deeply with a close friend. You know, as you said, it, it is unique to each of us the way in which we need to connect. Yeah, that's so, that's so wonderful. And, you know, a, a lot of times I know people are, you know, craving something greater than themselves. And, and we, we, you know, we can't find spiritual communities that we resonate with. I, I'm, I'm based in Palm Springs, California, which is a very high energy place. And there are many, many different spiritual communities. And one of the biggest spiritual communities is that of hikers people who explore the local amazing hiking in this region and really connect to their own still small voice on the amazing mountains we have in this area. That's a beautiful spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what I'd want to invite our listeners to is to explore that which they already know, because I have the feeling that, or not the feeling, I know that so often people think that it's something outside of themselves that they're looking for. And it's not. It's already there. It's already inside them. And they're just needing to be reminded of that. Yeah, that's so powerful, Lori. And it's, you know, there's that reminder of, you know, we, we walk around in the world hunched over looking at our devices and spending hours and hours and hours a day doing that. And yet when we are faced with the prospect of spending five minutes at looking at our inner device, <laughs> right, we suddenly don't have time. And it's, it's really fascinating. It's really fascinating to observe that as, as a culture, we so easily fall into that trance of the, out, the answers and the solutions to my problems are outside. I, yeah. I remember seeing um, something posted on social media, which really, really made me laugh. And it was of a picture of a cafe in Greece um, where the owner, um, I think it was on an island, had written on a chalkboard we don't have Wi-Fi here. Talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. and, it was, and it was really, really mm. beautiful because mm. that is where we have spiritual interchange is in connecting with each other, in connecting with ourselves. And the substitutes that we use, like technology, are never going to nourish that, that place. And we cannot find answers to the questions that really matter to us from Google. <laughs> we've got to go inside and learn how to do that that's right we've got to search inside you bet yeah. and, and that's the name of the book that uh, the google guy wrote uh, exactly i can't I try to remember his name it doesn't matter but you know search inside yourself that's right i was yeah. so i was so delighted earlier this year i had an opportunity with a with a colleague um who's a fellow coach who works at google uh we put on a uh uh, we had an opportunity to uh, do something, to do put on a little workshop at the beginning of the year at Google's headquarters in Los Angeles. And it was such a great chance to be, to, to connect with individuals who are so under so much immense pressure, you know, just like people in the technology world are mm -hmm. under so much pressure to perform and to perform perfectly at all times. And when they are given the space and the luxury of going inward, it's sometimes a little frightening 
because mm-hmm. nobody has given us permission as a culture to do that. And so initiatives like Search Inside and other programs and other ways of being in the world that are encouraging us to go inside are so revolutionary and they're so what we're thirsting for. Yes, yes. So for those of you who are searching for more and know that our our dear Felina Donalis, whose birthday is today, has, you can find out more from her at www.felinadonalis.com. Denalis.com. Could you spell that for us? Yeah, it's F like Frank, E-L-I-N-A, D as in David, A-N-A-L-I-S.com. And you can also find me on Facebook at Spiritual Fitness Coaching. Wonderful. Now, I have one one last question because it's something I'm curious about. Um, I I know that you are a polyglot. So (laughs) what are the languages you speak? Oh boy. <laughs> well, it, it, not well, and, and depends on how much coffee I've had, but um, on, on a good day, uh, French, uh, Italian, Greek, uh, Spanish, a little bit of Turkish, on a, on a good day. On a good day. And, and a little bit of Serbian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'm impressed. As a longtime French studier, learner, speaker, um, I'm impressed. <laughs> Well, don't, don't quote me on that because it's been a while since I've used them all on a, re- on a daily basis. So uh, okay. <laughs> I won't be doing any interviews in French anytime soon, <laughs> I can assure you, but I can order coffee for you if we go together. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I, 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 can, I can speak. I could do the interview in French, but that's the only one I've got. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, thank you so much, Felina, for offering to be with me here today on your birthday. And, and again, happy birthday. It's such a privilege and an honor, Lori, and best of luck to you and everyone at the Baca Journey and Wisdom Talk Radio. It's really been an honor and a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us today at Wisdom Talk Radio. Find us on iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks for joining us here at Wisdom Talk Radio. We wish you well in your conscious explorations. For more information and to join in the conversation, our website is wisdomtalkradio.com or at Wisdom Talk Radio on Facebook.